the Premier League on OTB. Flashing across and it's into the net, and it is Mohamed Salah. He gets his 100th Premier League goal. The very best expert analysis on your phone and for free. Download the OTB Sports app now. You ain't shit. I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. Well, fans can be the harshest critics, you know. And they often are. A wife is often the harshest critic <laughs> of her husband. <laughs> I thought I was invincible. That's what you're, you're trained to believe as a sports person. There was four million people in Ireland who knew much more about managing <laughs> football teams than I did. When it comes to music, I can spoof it the best. Your sporting career is the best time you'll have, and, you know, you have to hang on to it for as long as your life, because everything else is pretty crappy. And this is not lies. Stephen Rochford has never spoken to Jimmy McGinnis in his life. This is Off the Ball Saturday on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five. You can text us on five three one zero six. We're streaming the conversation as well now. You can listen on News Talk. Watch us on the Off the Ball social and digital channels for Periscope on Twitter at Off the Ball YouTube and on Facebook and also on the OTB Sports app. This is the Saturday panel. We're going to review the Sporting Week now. Between now and two thirty five, with the broadcaster and accredited sports psychologist Maura Trasini Cali, Irish independent sports writer Michael Verney, and the Irish Times sports writer Gavin Comiskey. Maura Trasa, Michael and Gavin, great to see you again. Hi John, Kerry will say. How are you? Hope we're all good. And I think we'll probably start, folks, with the women's rugby dressing room controversy. Uh, so the RFU continuing their investigation into what they described as an appalling situation whereby Connacht and Ulster women players had to change beside bins. In a derelict area outside Energeria Park last weekend, the players should have been allowed to use the dressing rooms. So the state, the government needs to fix that, obviously, to give them whatever status they require if ladies football and camogie players can use the dressing rooms at Croke Park. Um, it appears from reports, and O'Keen Trace was writing about it during the week, that the Connacht were directed to an incorrect area before the Leinster match operations personnel arrived at the ground and Ulster then followed suit. Nee Briggs was at Energia Park and she said everything was fine when it came to Munster situation. Um, so I feel my just take before I open the floor to you folks is that the effort is the same, whether they're amateur or whether they're pro, it doesn't matter. Um, to say somebody's an amateur strikes me as a bit of a cop-out. I think it's been the year of woman when it comes to sport. Rachel Blackmore rides six winners at Cheltenham. She wins the Aintree Grand National. Kelly Harrington wins Olympic gold. Ellen Keane wins Paralympic gold. Katie George Dunleavy and Eve McChrystal win Paralympic gold. Leona Maguire is the top point scorer as a rookie at the Solheim Cup. The Mead ladies footballers win the senior after winning the intermediate only nine months previously. So achievements where you just forget about gender as it should be because they're fantastic achievements, all realise when the appropriate conditions are in place. So, Maura Trassa, is this just a case of they made a mess of it, they've apologised, uh, it won't happen again, as they call it, the RFU, appalling, or is it a case when it comes to gender and levelling the playing field that it's two steps forward, one step back in your view? Um, I wish I was surprised by this news. Um, I really wasn't when I saw it. It was a sigh of dismay and disbelief that this had happened, and even worse, I think that the women playing on that team just kind of, and I'm not blaming them any way, shape or form. They were, they were, you know, herded into that area. They saw what it looked like. They could see vermin and they just said, okay, this is our lot. We're going to take it and go because this is what women are used to. We're, we're just used to, and I use the phrase we because this is outside of sport as well. You take what you're given because a lot of the time, if you complain vocally about something, you're slapped down and people don't want to hear it. Now, you're absolutely right that the last year has shown what women can achieve and actually what any human being can achieve if you give them the right backing and the right circumstances and the setup and that kind of thing. But 
Um, the IRFU's apology to me will ring very, very hollow unless they actually start investing in the women's game properly for too long. And they might not agree with this, but the perception is that it is a pain. It is a boil they wish they could lance off and get rid of while, while women are pulling money away from the real rugby. And the only way it will change is there's two ways this will change. One, I think, is that their male counterparts need to stand up. And it's I know it's very difficult on players who are relying on the IRFU or on sponsors for their wages. But until men start speaking up on behalf of women, actually on behalf of every kind of minority in anywhere where anyone's kind of being, I hate using the word oppressed because, you know, oppression is real in some cases. And this is just, you know, at the end of the day, women playing rugby. But until men speak up and help lift up the people who need that help, things won't change. And two, sponsors need to grow. Sponsors need to be lifting the phone and say, what are you doing here? We're giving you a lot of money. It doesn't look good for us because, you know what, like, you know, women are over 50% of the population. We're buying the products these sponsors have emblazoned on jerseys. So, you know, if the IRFU apologise, that's a great first step. But unless we see actual tangible change that we can measure and say, you know what, that was a watershed moment and look what has changed great, I'm all for it then, but I'm going to hold my breath. Yeah, Nee Briggs has written about this in the Irish Independent today. She said the change of facilities for Munster versus Leinster were perfect. She says the international camp won for nothing. She says it's about grassroots coaches and getting them into the game. Um, Paul Boyle spoke about it this week. Uh, Gary Ringrose spoke about it this week. Johnny Sexton spoke about it this week. Gavin Comiskey, are you in line with what Maura Trass is saying here? Yeah, more hit the nail on the head about the uh, the male players. Seamus Coleman was able to get his act together and support uh, Katie McCabe's squad to make sure they got equal pay, actually take a pay cut to play for their country because he doesn't see uh, male or females, he just sees Irish internationals. The male rugby players that you mentioned there, none of them kind of went on their social media or asked to be interviewed. They were The question was put to them. And if you listen back, the quotes are very similar from three different uh, professional male Irish rugby players at, at three, in three different interviews. thought that was very funny, you know. What happens is this will happen again, by the way. It'll ha- it won't be for about 18 months and it won't be a tent. It won't be rats in people. Why will it happen again? Because I've been covering women's uh, rugby, rugby in Ireland since 2012 and it happens every 18 months. Uh, what happens is they the communications department of the IRFU, run by Stephen McNamara, very good ship, knows what he's doing, excellent at crisis management. That's where they brought him from Ryanair several years ago. So what happens is they do this. There's no concern. There's no care of duty. There's nobody, there's no pathway for these players at the moment. Um, like if you really dug, dig a little bit beneath the surface, if the players, the male players actually looked at this, like Johnny Sexton was on your radio station this week saying, he doesn't know. He's the our captain of the Ireland men's team and he doesn't know anything about what's going on beneath the surface. I guarantee it'll happen again. And it happens again is because Nobody's putting real care and there's no real depth or real long-term plan into developing Irish women's rugby in Ireland. So when something does happen again, be it an overnight train or be it they'll miss flights or the showers won't work in Donnybrook or they'll be changing with rats in their bags. When this happens again, I guarantee, I promise you, it'll happen in about a year, 18 months. What'll happen is the IRFU communications department will kick into gear. They'll apologise. They'll put forward people like Johnny Sexton who'll go, look, this will never happen again. I promise you, you know. And everyone will go, and then, oh, and then the best thing they do is they'll silence everyone by go, we're going to do a deep investigation now. But the only reason there's an investigation is because the Connacht women came out and spoke. And you know, it was because the media are onto it, because Mary Hannigan and Neve Briggs are writing pieces about it. That investigation just gives them time to quieten it down. And but maybe, the, but maybe there's no hiding place now. We saw what the FBI did to train. Oh, there is, there is. I'll tell you where the hiding place saw, is, right? They'll do an investigation, okay? And the, the results of the investigation will come out just when the men's rugby season is really kicking into gear. Just when Leinster and Munster and Connacht and Ulster are going into Europe. And nobody will care at that point in time. And it'll be swapped under the carpet. 
Now, they're on the verge of not qualifying for a World Cup after coming fourth in a World Cup in 2014, you know. So that's the, I, and I've watched it, I've covered it uh, season on season since then. And I've watched the whole thing disintegrate and I've watched them try sevens a pathway. Um, and I have to say, I thought Johnny Sexton really let himself down on radio this week. He, uh, like, he talked about how I want my daughter to have the same opportunities that I had. Like, that's just never going to happen. Like, right now, there's no daughters. There's no. How do you know it's not going to happen? Because that's because the world we're living. I'm watching it all the time. But you had, you had, you had. I can't become a professional rugby player if I'm a woman. You, and you, I, I, but you had, you had uh, women's soccer players changing tracksuits and toilets. They've improved the situation over the last few years. They learned from their mistakes under, obviously, a new broom, a new regime. Michael, has not the situation not improved with the women's GPA joining the men's GPA? Okay, well, where's Rugby Players Ireland this week? Who are supposed to be looking after, if they're supposed to be looking after male and females? I haven't heard anything from them. I haven't seen a word from them. Um, like, Sexton had no knowledge when he talked about this. And he went into great detail about it. About Sorry, he went into no detail. He just said, oh, look, the IRFU have apologised and this can never happen again. It's terrible, you know. But with absolutely no idea that why is there like just so many questions? You can all you have to do is scratch the surface and you've got millions of Did they get any expenses or mileage, these players, when they're playing into provincials? Why did Vodafone sponsor a tournament that has no Ireland internationals? Why did it happen just before World Cup qualifiers? I know on the club scene, I know coaches, players, everyone objected to this going, why are we having this Interpro and putting it on TG Car with sponsorship coming in? And then we don't have it when the internationals, the internationals are in camp. Okay. And also, what we saw against in the, in the Spanish match, these Ireland internationals are in desperate need of games. They don't know how to catch and pass under pressure. Like it's just, it's so evident, and it was, it looks like they should be disgraceful. But why didn't they a month beforehand have a, a big interpro season that was live on TV? And when they're put under the pressure that Spain were going to put them on, maybe they don't have the pool of players because nobody cares, and because there is no structure. There they is will, no, they will say they care, Gavin. You know, they will say they care, and they're not here to them defend themselves in that point. Michael Verney, have you seen an okay, improvement? You know how you know you care. You know you care by what, what's the proof in the pudding. And like we keep seeing it over and over again every year that uh, there's there's evidence of when you see tents like that set up for an interpro game, you know they don't care. You know, you know that well, they, they, I, they said they're appalled. And I think, you know, you have to also, when they've had their investigation, maybe there was a legitimate mistake made. They said they were appalled when the independents started asking them questions three days after the event. Yeah. They, they're just given, look, it's the communication department of the RFU are very good. They're good people in there, they're good at their jobs. But it's not their job to fix women's rugby. It's their job to dampen out the fire when it comes. Uh, we'll, we'll, I, I guarantee you we'll be having this conversation in 12 months, 18 months. Michael, Michael, you, you from a GA perspective, we had the situation last year with the ladies football team from Galway actually had to go to Croke Park and they'd barely any time to prepare for a semi-final. Can you see, have you seen, say, in the last 12 months in GA with women and ladies football in Camogie improvements in terms of a level playing field? Yeah, I was in Crow Park that day, actually. I was on my way to Parnell Park when I got word that it had been changed to Crow Park. And I think Galway were en route at the time. Um, and the game was brought forward, I think, to... to uh, I think the game was brought forward because there was a game in Crow Park that day. So it was a uh, last-ditch effort to make sure that they played in Crow Park. It was uh, disastrous for both teams involved. The optics of, we'll say, the, the WGPA and the GPA joining together and there been an equal... Uh, gender balance under executive is uh, very commendable and that's a great step but like I've definitely seen you know uh, in the LGFA and in the Camogie Association just the same failings of uh, for example Ashling Thompson played the All-Ireland Camogie final for Cork last Sunday uh, gave her you know gave her year gave her life to play that game and then Milford were playing 
uh, a Cork Camogie Championship game on the Wednesday night in Cork somehow. I, I don't know how this, ha I don't know how that happens. Uh, there was, you know, a big controversy in Tip last year when several players, uh, I think they had to give a bye. Uh, I think it was there was a Camogie and a, a ladies football club uh, basically just crossover within 24 hours and one of the teams had to give a walkover. That happens in... That happens in the majority of counties, uh, particularly in the LGFA and the Camogie Association. Um, and people will blame the GAA, uh, naturally enough, but obviously they're not under that umbrella. And while there is great work being done there, they're still miles behind. Uh, and I'm not saying the GAA is a perfect organisation, it's far from that, but the LGFA and the Camogie Association are still well behind uh, their male counterparts in that respect. So they still have a long way to come. Like, would the would the Galway situation that happened last year, could that potentially happen again? Yes, definitely. The same as Gavin, it's probably more than likely it's going to happen again. There are steps to put in place to make sure that these things, like, they're less likely to happen. But there's also a lot of things um, happening behind the scenes, particularly at club level, that is just not good enough. And uh, that would definitely not suggest that, that there's parity between men and women. And to add to what Michael stuff, said there as well, can I just say one thing, actually, Michael's absolutely right, and the All-Ireland Camogie finals were on last Sunday, Galway and Cork were in the senior finals, and both Cork and Galway county boards decided they were going to play their club hurling championship for the men's. So there are a lot of women who would have had a lot of support, like missing brothers, cousins, neighbours, this, that and the other, who couldn't go to Crow Park to watch women who have toiled away to win an All-Ireland title for their county. Galway won out last Sunday. It was a great day out. But there was a lot of people left at home in Galway who couldn't physically get to Crow Park for one reason or another. And it happened to the Cork fans as well. And that's not good enough. So, you know, while the LGFA and the Camogie Association, Michael is right, they have a long way to come to catch up to the GAA. And that's not their fault. They're newer organisations. They have fewer bodies. But at the same time, the GAA don't cover themselves in glory either when it comes to it. There's a lot of noise we made about the GAA, where we all belong. And I know Larry McCarthy in particular and previous GAA presidents wanted to bring LGFA and Camogie Association. That's another conversation. But, you know, we might all belong there, but we all belong to it at different levels. I've seen this personally involved in sport, playing for clubs and also involved in backroom teams. And I see it as well from a media point of view women we aren't we don't belong as much as men and that's the long and short of it it's getting better but none of this is a surprise and like you know gavin actually is rare he's one of the few men who actually regularly covers women's sport and knows it inside out and that's an issue as well in media there's not enough you know women involved in it so like i can tell you there's been a few stories involving women over the years where i have tried to get a covered you know on media and you'd be pushing and pushing and pushing and banging on a door if the same story was happening in the male equivalent sport it'd be all over the back pages of the sport if, if i told you some of the stories that haven't been out the publish over the years we, i can't because we get sued but it's to so many people who don't want to go on the record who don't want to be sources because it's too much stress you know these are males who are managing teams and these are female current female players they They'd love for it to get out there, just what really is happening in Irish rugby and how little they've been helped along the way. But the problem is, and this is how the IRFU get away with it, and this is how Cork GA get away with it. They're trying to prepare for a game at the moment where they're supposed to be talking about the wrongs that have been done against them, you know? So they have to make a choice. Either you prepare for the match in the circumstances that you're given, in the, with the cards that you're dealt, or you don't prepare for a match and you speak out and you put yourself, you ruin any chance of you getting picked again. Like, this is re it's just still happening, you know? There's, I have seen... I've not seen improvements. I've seen it go downhill. Like, let's just take Lynn Cantwell. How the hell did the IRFU let her slip through their hands? She, like, one of the greatest players to ever play for the game, just a natural communicator, uh, someone that sport Ireland all over. And then South Africa just came in and went, this is such an easy win for us. We'll make her the director of women's rugby. Like, 
and the thing is, she, she is just a made administrator that you could have molded and shaped into something that could be reaped out. And not even near, you don't even have to put her near the men's game. But yeah, when, when that happened, I, I was, it was just another low. Like you've covered the 2017 World Cup in UCD and up in Belfast. And that was an unmitigated disaster. It was an unmitigated disaster because the preparation wasn't properly, wasn't done. They, like, they didn't, they didn't have a long-term strategy and they still don't. And it's, I remember thinking at that World Cup, I started going, oh God, this is I, like, okay, they're going to have to qualify for the next World Cup now. And, I, and I, you look around and you look at the will and you looked at the, they didn't worry, they had a review, but, <laughs> you know, when you talk to people on the ground who, again, don't need the hassle in their life of going on the record. That's the thing. People just are so beaten down by the way they've been treated. But it's not it's not just it's not much harder when you're looking at England and France as professionals. We're an amateur it's an amateur sport here. There's not much yeah, but we we flagged this back in twenty fourteen. If you don't take this seriously, if you don't look at some level of the gas thing is there's no player pathway, you know? Like look at these international players and find out how many club matches they played in the last two years, I'd say. Like two, three, maybe, maybe none. You know, none of them play the Interpro series. But there's is there seriously the pool of players? No joined up thinking here. But, but there really is. Is there seriously you know? the pool and of what players? What they do is yeah. they put up Adam Griggs and Tom Tierney, the Ireland coaches, who have no power and no control over how, how this whole thing works. They're just junior coaches who are employed by the IRFU. And these lads get put in the firing line. And you ask them basic questions like, okay, so who do you answer to? How does the, the structure? I did this with Adam Griggs there a while ago. And it, he's the guy getting thrown under a bus. He's just a career coach, you know? And I asked him, okay, so who do you answer to and how does the system work? And was it? And just didn't know. He just did not know. And then a day later, they're going, oh, of course I know. He did a new press conference and he named all the people who were in charge. But, you know, it's, you can, you can, you can make fun of them over and over again. But all that they know it, they know it well now. You just weather the storm. The men's rugby will come back in. Nobody will. Well, what we'll do is we'll extend the invitation to the RFU. We'll we'll weather the storm. We'll give it a time. We'll extend the invitation then to the RFU to to have their say and give their point of view across well, uh, on the on this. Well, I'm, I'm going to do problem with the FAI because Seamus Coleman defended, came out and, and went. But is it? The, but it, is it also the fa- well? It could also be the fact that there's a new regime in the FAI and there might be a bit yeah, of different. Yeah, and Jonathan thinking. Hill saw an easy win by getting Seamus Coleman and, and Katie McCabe down at the table and going, okay, I'm going to take a thousand off your match fee and give a thousand to their match fee. And uh, then everyone looks good. They've got, they got a sky deal. Like they see the writing on the wall that women's sport, if you don't, if you don't get behind it financially, even though it makes no money, it'll never turn a profit. Like, but you have to put long-term investment in it. So yeah, Jonathan Hill. Um, well, you have to yeah, because it's the right thing to do. Win for him. It's not that big a deal. What he but did. but I'm, I'm sure his motives are good. <laughs> You know, you can't you can't say we 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 don't know his motives are not good. His motives are surely are good. Um, he, he's in, he's in to make a, to make the FAI a respectable organisation again. Straight away, you go after uh, pay equality. It, yeah, of course, it makes loads of sense. Loads of other countries have already done it. They took a year to do it. You know, um, it's you don't get a pat on the back for paying people the same amount of money for doing the same job. Okay. Um, I just want to move on to uh, we've actually got to take a break here for the news so Gavin Comiskey Michael Verney and Maura Trassany Cali so much to talk about between 2 and 3 on the Saturday panel here the Ryder Cup the managerial merry-go-round in Kerry Kilkenny and Galway and also sports documentaries with the Michael Schumacher documentary out this week on Netflix 53106 if you want to get involved in the conversation we're back after the news The Saturday panel on Off the Ball
This is Off the Ball Saturday on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five. You can text us 53106, tweet us at Off the Ball. We're back with the Saturday panel reviewing the sporting week just gone with a broadcaster and accredited sports psychologist Maura Trassini Cali, Irish independent sports writer Michael Verney, and the Irish Times sports writer Gavin Comiskey. Listen on News Talk. Watch us on the Off the Ball digital and social channels for Periscope on Twitter at Off the Ball, YouTube on Facebook. We're also streaming on the OTB Sports app. Search OTB Sports in your app store to download us. Uh, you can text us on 53106. You can tweet us at Off the Ball. Just getting some of your texts. Lads, in fairness, with regard to female sport in the country, the Camogie Association will not communicate with the Football Association. If the governing bodies of female sport won't communicate, well, they're separate organisations. What chance have the participants got in being the best they can be? It's extremely disappointing, says Kieran. Uh, Gavin Comiskey spot on in terms of professional rugby players response this week says Michael in Dublin uh, wanting the same opportunities for his daughter I presume this is referring to Johnny Sexton may not be referring to just rugby but to reach the top and whatever she chooses says Pat uh, why is the radio interviewer defending the RFU so much they have few women players because the RFU haven't funded the programme simple don't be a spineless shill for the RFU well the only reason I'm, <laughs> I'm not defending them I'm just uh, saying that they're not here to give their point of view and uh, hi, JD. Please discuss how good the Mighty Wallabies are looking right now after smashing the Springboks this morning and beating the box last Saturday as well. Rugby Australia has been in a really bad place the last few years. It's great to see the Wallabies comprehensively beating the current world champions, says Aussie Tony in Kilkenny. Just on managerial GA merry-go-round, folks. Uh, Michael Verney, Brian Cody in for 24th year in Kilkenny. Um, I hope they win the All-Ireland. I'd love to see Cody go out at the top. Uh, he is the Alex Ferguson, I would call, of GA management. But it'll be seven years next year since their last All-Ireland. Any thoughts whether he should uh, step aside or give someone else a go? Or is he right to keep going? Or really is the county board's call, I suppose, Michael? Um, we, we just actually don't have Michael Verney there at the moment. More chance if you want to come in this. Brian Cody, the man who, who told you the right way to say hurl or hurly. What do you think of him about him staying on? <laughs> Well, I mean, anybody who knows that it's actually a hurl and not a hurley in my book is a good guy. But no, all jokes aside, um, it's obviously unusual, isn't it? Um, these things don't happen anymore in, in most management in most types of games around the world. So Brian Cody is an outlier. And it's funny, you know, it's only been a few years and it's a famine for Kilkenny people. And I knew we were discussing this today, so I canvassed the opinions of a few different people I know in Kilkenny. People who be, you know, into their hurling and would also know that it was indeed a hurl. You know, they were, there was two schools of thought. One was that, you know, the conveyor belt of talent isn't coming through and therefore Brian Cody is getting the best out of what is there. And then there's another school of thought that says there is plenty of talent coming through, but at the moment, Brian Cody is the only person either capable or willing to put his hand up to do the management. Now, I don't know. I'm not of Kilkenny. I'm not embedded in Kilkenny. I wouldn't know the ins and outs of club hurling down there and who's coming through St. Kieran's College and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I can't tell which side of those two schools of thought, you know, impartiality comes down on. But they were the two broad sweeps that I was getting. But there's also a massive respect for the man. He's achieved a lot. And um, he's still doing it, you know, at a time where I don't think anybody would blame him if he said, you know what, I've done enough now. I've given enough of my time. It's probably a bit easier now in one sense. He's retired. He was a primary teacher once upon a time. He retired a few years ago. That probably, I'd imagine, maybe makes the gig a bit easier. But on the other hand... He's dealing with uh, players today who are different to the players even 20, even 10, maybe even five years ago. People have evolved and psychology has evolved and the psychology of young men is evolving and changing. And that's a challenge as well. And the fact that he's putting his hand up to keep doing it is admirable, though I think maybe 
and again, this is me speaking off a personal basis, if I had a personal relationship with somebody like Brian Cody, there's a part of me who might be thinking, you know what, you don't owe anyone anything. It'd be great if you got out on a high, but leaving now, you would also be on a high. You've achieved so much. Spend some time with your family and friends and other things. But then again, he is hurling, isn't he? Maybe this is what he's doing, what he's loving. Um, it's unusual. Um, I think more power to him. There's plenty of people who wouldn't be able for it. Um, and this is Brian Cody. We could don't forget they were not Ireland final 2019, and there's talk like Jesus, they've given him another one. It's it's a bit mad when you look at it that way, you know. Michael Verney, are you coming down on any side on this? Uh, Brian Cody is he equipped to manage Kilkenny into 2022 against the style of hurling that Limerick are playing, for example, at the moment? Well, the the question I would ask is, and I definitely uh, aim this at Kilkenny folk. Like, are Kilkenny underachieving with the talent that they have available to them? Uh, I would definitely say they're not underachieving. Uh, I think, if anything, potentially he could be overachieving. If you were to pick, you know, the top 15, uh, Colin Keyes even did it in our paper this morning. He did the top 40 hurlers in the country. Uh, three Kilkenny players in it. That's obviously based on this year. But if you were to pick, you know, the top 15 or 20, based on over the last five or 10 years, you're looking at probably Owen Murphy, TJ Reid, maybe maybe Park Walsh. Like the talent he has available to him, the conveyor belts of minor All Ireland winners and under twenty one All Ireland winners that he had, you know, in the noughties. Like every team was producing a Richie Power, a Richie Hogan, uh, a TJ Reid. They were just ready made senior players over the next couple of years. That's just not the case now. Their under twenties have been beaten well by Galway the last couple of years. Their minors are competitive, but they're not producing. I would say, in particular, in forwards, they're not producing those elite forwards that maybe they were before. So I think it's a difficult one. Kilkenny people, um, I don't know if they think people, somebody that Henry or Eddie Brennan or DJ or whoever could come in and do a better job, but I think they want. I think the general consensus from people I'm talking to is they just want to see somebody else do it another way. That's what, from you know, anecdotally, what a lot of people are saying to me. Brian's record is phenomenal. It's eleven All Ireland, seventeen Leinsters, uh, eight or nine league titles. Obviously. They haven't won All Ireland since 2015. Even winning that 2015 All Ireland with a, a skeleton squad compared to what he would have had was probably one of his best achievements. They won the league in 2018. They were, you know, they won Len- they've won Leinster the last two years, albeit a weaker Leinster Championship. Um, something Mara Trassa said there, I, I would pick up on. Uh, like I, I've talked to Kilkenny people before, and they kind of. They, they kind of what they say is that they don't think Brian Cody exists outside of the sideline. You don't see him in Kilkenny. You don't see him going for petrol. You don't see him around about. You'd wonder like who are who are his mentors or who is he canvassing opinions of? Or uh, is it just would say his wife Elsie would obviously be a big would have you know been a big camogie player in our days. Well, he's got a backroom team. Like, what, yeah, yeah, it's, it's backroom team. Yeah, but I'm, I'm wondering more along the lines of. You know, is he, has he asked the, the question or does it go through his head? Is there a possibility that, that I could wear out my welcome here? Is there a possibility that it could end like maybe it did for Mickey Hart, who obviously Tyrone had never achieved anything on, until he came in. He brings three All-Irelands and then it probably, be fair to say, it didn't end the way he would have liked it to end. But as regards, is Brian maximising what he has available to him? I have to say, I think he is. And even tactically, um, I think they have adapted. They're probably still a small bit behind, but a lot of that is to do with the players that you have at, their, at, at your disposal. And it just like he doesn't have the players at his disposal, maybe to take down a Limerick at the moment. But ironically, who's the last manager to beat Limerick in, a, in a meaningful championship match? Brian Cody in 2019 semi final when nobody gave them any chance. So, um, Kilkenny people want to be would want to be careful what they wish for as well. 
change is great if you know you know what way the change is going to go you know the people coming in and they're going to deliver and have a really good squad available to them but change for the sake of change is not necessarily a good thing does, does Shefflin want it would you say like now would it be a smart move by him to, to jump in now or Eddie Brennan or DJ like well, well, it's an interesting one, Gav. No more than with, with Mickey Hart in Tyrone. When he was manager, nobody is going to stand up and say, I want the job. That's just, It's just probably a respect thing. That just was the same case in Tyrone. Um, you wouldn't have heard Peter Canavan or Brian Dewar or Fergal Logan uh, saying, I want the job. And then, you know, two weeks after Mickey stepped down, Fergal Logan and, and Brian Dewar were put in place. They were they were the next men up. But like Henry's with Thomastown this year. Um, neighbouring club of his own he'd try and win an intermediate with them they haven't they've been beaten in finals recently he's obviously won with Ballyhale two All-Ireland clubs he, he hardly lost the championship match with them I think Eddie's obviously been with Leash and brought Leash up to a good level he's with Kula this year DJ's got experience with with, uh, with Carlo IT got them to a couple of Fitzgibbon Cup finals so th- there's definitely more so than three or four years ago there's definitely replacements there I don't think there would have been a couple of years ago they just wouldn't have served the apprenticeships that they would have needed to um, whereas even Michael Fenley in, in Offaly now David Herity in Kildare there, there will be a good pool to pick from whenever, whenever Brian does step aside Maybe what you're saying there Michael is right maybe people in Kenny Kilkenny want to see just somebody different just to see how it goes uh, at some stage I think it might get to that stage but until the county board make a change uh, or there's a challenge like Eamon Barry against Sean Boylan and Meath uh, Brian wants the job and he's got the job for another year in Kerry uh, there was a statement that came out this week from the county board which read the process of appointing the next Kerry senior football managers commenced the Kerry GA management committee has appointed the following five, five of a subcommittee to revert with a recommendation at the earliest opportunity no further comments be made until the process has concluded Jerry O'Sullivan from Radio Kerry was on with Jerry Galore yesterday he said that it was believed Peter Keane knew about that statement before it was released uh, I didn't like the statement uh, whether Peter Keane goes again or not even if he's going for a fourth year they should have mentioned him and his, and his management team maybe they're waiting until the process is complete but they, they, I think they should have mentioned it now various options being speculated upon Jack O'Connor a dream ticket of Seamus Moynihan and Donny Buckley Peter Keane again Gavin um, I think there's a lot of anguish down in Kerry there's only one thing that's required and that's win the All-Ireland and they haven't been doing that Yeah so does Jack stepping down from Kildare was that that's what he did the last time, wasn't it? For the third coming, or does that just is that the writing on the wall, or is it already discussed? I don't know, but um, I I don't know what the feeling is in Kerry, but Peter Keane, um, well, Tomas O'Shea just eviscerated them on the Sunday game after that, didn't he? Saying that there there hasn't been he hasn't taken the success he's had at underage into the senior ranks, and they're really stung by this this failure this time around. So I don't know, maybe it is time for change there, but um. Is is Jack is is the third coming of Jack uh, something that they want to they want to embrace? I don't know. Well, they've got a county board chairman as well to come in uh, before the end of the year. So there's lots of complicating political f- uh, factors at play. Moratrasa, it's only yeah. about one thing: winning all Ireland's. You see Dublin win six in a row. You see Tyrone of all teams go and win the All Ireland this year. There's only one requirement, and uh, they get anxious if they don't win it. Yeah, they do, and I think. Is that more Peter Keane's fault or is it more the fault of the structures that they have coming up? And you can say, yeah, he did really well at minor, but that's boys against men, you know? And have we had enough time to allow those boys who came through under minor to become developed to the type of footballers that they need to be to win? Because um, unfortunately for Kerry, um, football has evolved. It's become much more, you know, 
driven by science, stats, you know, players that become bigger, stronger. It's not just about having tradition anymore, which carried Kerry for a long, long time. And it's not just about being beautiful, natural footballers. That day, unfortunately, is gone. And Kerry woke up to that, for sure, but I think there might be a year or two off that yet. So you could argue then they have a beautiful centre of excellence down in Kerry and you can really see the work they're doing because they've realised later than the other counties, the Dublins and the Tyrones, oh, we need we need a bit more smarts behind the beauty as well, you know? Um, and um, you know, the epitome of the Rose of Tralee, you can't just be pretty, you got to have intelligence going on as well, you know? But for me, it seems that they're a few years off that from what I've seen on evidence, but that's not to criticise anyone, but it's certainly not to criticise Peter Keynes. He could argue, you know, was he getting the best out of those players? Some say yes, some say no. He got pulled over the coals last year for that shock lo- loss against Cork. I remember he got really bad abuse for playing Brian O'Beglich. He'd be more of a defensive guy and they were playing him up uh, playing him up in the forwards, kind of they played very defensively and they got caught and they lost anyway. And then maybe I'm thinking in hindsight when we look at that, was that because maybe Peter knew the limitations of the team he had? I don't know. This, this is speculation because, of course, out of all of this, we're talking in a vacuum. We don't know what goes on in between the walls, you know, those, those sacred walls of a team. But, um, it's an interesting um, situation that Kerry find themselves in. And like you said, there's a lot of politics going on now. There's a lot of people of the opinion that should this be left until, you know, the new chair is appointed and brought in and let it be seen under that person. But of course, then the other school of thought would be like well, other counties already thinking of 2022 because the, you know, the big thing that Tyrone has managed to achieve, aside from winning the title for themselves, has given every other county who were, you know, written off or said they haven't a hope of beating Dublin, having a hope of beating Kerry, all of a sudden, there's a lot of counties now thinking we could be next year's sleeping giant. They're already planning, you know, so Kerry mightn't want to wait. Natives are always restless in Kerry, Michael, if they're not we don't have that, bringing that Sam McGuire hope home, cup home. Ah, yeah, re- realistically, that's, that's the case, John. And it's funny, things could have been so different for Peter Keane. Like, they were in control of that drawn game uh, with 15 against 14 against Dublin and could have changed the course of history and could have de- denied a five in a row and uh, don't think they got a shot away for the last 12 minutes of that game. And Dublin just wrestled back control. And, you know, it was Kerry nearly that were holding on at the end rather than vice versa. But uh, I would be similar to you. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have liked the statement that was put out from, from Keane's perspective anyway. To me, it looked like a vote of no confidence more than anything else. I don't know how many times... I, I, I can't think offhand and maybe um, I stand to be corrected. I don't know how many times an outgoing manager has had to you know, re-interview against other potential candidates for the job and ended up getting or holding on to the job. I, I can't think offhand of that. It's shoddy happened. form in a way. It's a bit yeah. shoddy for me. Uh, uh, it is a bit, yeah. And, and like, listen, the Kerry County Board would probably point back to, you know, that this is being a, you know, a transparent process at the end of his three-year term. Um, but to me, and I think to a lot of people, it just looks like a mechanism to change Kerry manager. And... Uh, Jack on the examiner pod the day after Kerry were beaten or two days after Kerry beaten. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't a come get me plea, but he definitely put it out there that how attractive the job was. And obviously, if if you were a you know, Kildare player or someone involved in the Kildare County Board, I don't think he would have been too happy. And then all of a sudden, it all manifests in a couple of days later that he's gone, despite the fact that he was, uh, he was in, you know, there's pretty good amount of planning done for Kildare for 2022 with coaching staff and everything and everything was nearly over the line and, and suddenly it's all changed again but I that seems to me the most likely outcome of this Jack O'Connor being Kerry manager in 2022 and the third coming I don't remember too many third comments to be honest with you they say you shouldn't Cyril go back Farrell once. maybe Cyril Farrell yeah in fairness yeah Trilogy. 
yeah, yeah. Those those guys were were there a couple of times too, and all kind of got success or at least got teams back to finals as yeah. well. But um, it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. But okay. I can see nothing only change. That's the only thing yeah. I can see. Well, Tony Buckley, go on, Gavin. It was a very top of a typically uh, top provoking piece by Jim McGuinness in the Irish Times today. Um, I'm not going into the weeds of structures here, by the way. But don't. But he talks about how like uh, to to change it the way the plans are are potentially to change the championship is such a disservice to Ulster football who've got it right and been consistent. Like Ulster football, that championship has effectively broke Kerry this year, yeah, because Kerry weren't able to cope with the intensity of some a team that had come through for absolute nail biter uh, matches up in their up in the province. So uh, Ulster are doing everything right that you you should do if you're a uh, a provincial structure to produce a team that can win in All-Ireland. Tyrone went and proved it. And I, well, I wonder if Kerry are going to keep bashing against this wall even if Jack O'Connor comes in unless the structures are completely revamped and and they take away the advantage that Ulster have earned by playing, by going through the traditional routes. So, I don't know. It, 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 it feels like a bit of a poison chalice then in Kerry now, doesn't it? Because it's been so long and it weighs so heavy on them. This whole, oh, they have to carry it through the winter. They don't want to talk about football in the winter now. If you go down there, you notice because it's it's... Like that, that that semi there, that that broke them, you know. For such a massive county, that 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 really, they 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 didn't see that coming at all. They can they've been they've been beaten by the Doves in May over the years, but Tyrone catching them like that, repeating history was. It's as grim as it gets, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a painful time. Five three one zero six. I think the risks for Kilkenny changing managers minimal, a bit like Kerry in football or Mayo. Kilkenny will still be Leinster champions or close to it, etc. There is minimal downside, but the upside is to compete for the All Ireland, says one of our texters. And another one, lads, Cody is closer to Wenger than Fergie. Brought them to the absolute peak of the sport before falling away at the end. Change would likely mean regression rather than progression. Mia Hall Donahue, is he going back to Galway, Moratrasa? No idea. <laughs> ah, come on. You give us an exclusive. I, ge- I, I genuinely have no idea. I've been I've been looking for white smoke uh, and, and all that kind of stuff, but um, no, I, I I haven't heard a thing. All I've heard is that there was a load of names thrown into the pot the first day, and one by one they were picked, being picked off. Um, for a lot of people would say he's the rational choice. Um, don't forget, we still don't really know why he left two years ago. We don't really know. And I actually Well, it was, was it not reported that the maybe relations with the... Yeah, reported with the relations yeah, with the county board. we don't know for sure. Yeah, and that's the sure. thing why I'm always a bit careful whenever we see about these managerial merry-go-rounds in county boards. We never really know until somebody usually publishes a book or there's a review There's or nothing in those books, more Trassa. Nothing in those oh, books. Sometimes there can be. <laughs> but I don't know. Um, it'd be interesting. I know there's a lot of kind of... At the moment, you see, the club hurling championship in Galway takes up so much bandwidth. So I know while people are interested to see who the Galway county manager is going to be, at the moment, a lot of the hurling people are so focused on championship that while there's talk about it, it's not seen as a massive urgency yet. But I actually saw today in the Independence, there was an interesting article, I think it was Cyril Farrell actually saying that Michal should be brought back in and he should try and convince uh, Joe Canning out of retirement. So, I mean, you talk about strange going on in Gary. Could he could get even stranger in Galway? Michael Verney. It's a lengthy process, John, to go through there as well. Like the 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 next manager candidates have to be nominated by clubs, and then they go to the county board, and then the guys or whoever, whoever is nominated, are interviewed. Like that's quite a lengthy process. When we all done who got the job in the first place. Um, after uh, Anthony Cunningham stepped aside, that was quite a lengthy process for him to get in place. I think it was only a couple of days before Christmas in 2015 when he when he was in place. So. Uh, if they go through the processes that they have traditionally gone through, that will there won't be there won't be any solution over the next couple of weeks. You're probably looking at probably looking at late October, early November by the time they'd actually have a manager in place. 
very good and if we're talking about books and sports maybe Porter Carrington will bring one out after this Ryder Cup next week in Wisconsin against the United States he's the captain Shane Larry's in the team Rory McIlroy's in the team I can't wait for it folks uh, silly costumes um, all the nonsense ceremonies around it um, a team sport which you don't get in golf you've got fans there American fans be hostile enough uh, we hadn't had uh, stadiums at all Phil, Phil for the whole of the pandemic and I think people sometimes forget that uh, are you really looking forward to it Gavin are you a Ryder Cup uh, aficionado or are you somebody who tries to avoid it um, no uh, well it's unavoidable so yeah like you, you will get dragged into it and it's because of uh, I, I'm into it this year because of poor Carrington uh, and obviously Shane Lowry um, that would be it for me uh, no I don't like I'm not going to be wearing my have my European flag draped over me or anything like that um, the Irish Times have given it a real good go today and uh, I'd point everyone towards Colin Burns, Colin, the caddies, Colin. Uh, he made a really interesting point about how all these players, especially the Americans, I think Brooks Kepka said it, uh, they basically abandon their tour routine when they come into the USA team because they don't have any of their entourage with them. They're in a, they basically go from being a complete individual sport to being this team group thing. And the Europeans have gotten that right over the years, you know, and they've, they've nailed the ethic. So um, that's one thing he said that that's, uh, anyway, I, I pointed towards Colin Byrne when he writes about that because he's been obviously inside the ropes for so long. And um, yeah, it'll be uh, really interesting, and well, it'll be great. But it's it's like it's very hard to get emotionally involved in a European team. This is the only time when we support Europe as people. It's not really Europe though, because the Brits are still in it. So um, that, that would be <laughs> the main issue there. I suppose there's Europe and the European Union, and we don't want to get sidetracked by that conversation for the next uh, hour and a half here on News Talk. Um, uh, Michael Verney, you're a proud man this week because you're from Offaly, and Shane Larry will be there as a rookie. Um, so you'll be up early now. Well, actually, you won't be because it's America and it's Wisconsin six hours. But you must be buzzed about it. Yeah. No, I, I spoke to Shane. Uh, I spoke to Shane the week of the under twenty final. And I just asked them, as we, as you always do when you're interviewing about one thing, you try and get a few little bits on another thing. So I was just asking him about the golf and that. And he was obviously very disappointed to miss out in 2016. He didn't realistically have a chance in, in 2018. Um, and he would have preferred, I'm sure, to be an automatic choice. But like I know all around, all around Burr, all around Offaly here, everyone's absolutely buzzing to have you know, somebody within such a close proximity. I, I shared, a, shared a football field with, with under 10. I actually said it to him that we actually beat them in that final that we He didn't remember it, of course. I naturally would remember it. He's got on to much bigger and better things than I have since Is that then. your last medal, Michael? No, it's definitely not my last medal, but I must. I don't even know where it is now, but he had long forgotten that game. Similar anyway. career paths. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're I think it's gone two different directions, Gav, unfortunately. Um, but no, it's great and the, the buy in around here is huge. Like I don't know if there's ever been a more popular sports person. Uh, everybody just everybody I I know anyway seems to love Shane Lowry. Like he was going to Crow Park that day, the under twenty match, he was taking pictures outside. He was like some of the pictures after the game were just of him celebrating and people were getting as much crack out of him celebrating as awfully winning and just how much it meant to him. So there's definitely a massive buy in there. And even just from um a character point of view, the likes of like Ian Ian Porter, like for the right the Ryder Cup, like someone like him just lights up the whole occasion. He's a he's a crazy record. Is he fourteen wins, I think, and six six ties in his Ryder Cup record. He just seems to produce these amazing things every time the tournament comes around. And even Garcia as well. And Lowry you'd have to say too, guys that would have been 
like Garcia and Poulter would have come from a you know a soccer background. They would have been in team environments growing up. Lowry would have played a lot of GA. He would have been following his father when he was, you know, he would have been following his father's career and would have been following GA. So these guys are kind of inherently associated with team sports. And I don't know if that's something that Europe just seemed to have a better handle of it as a result of that. The individualistic stuff seems to be put aside and that they seem to be able to function really well as a team, whereas that's probably something that the Americans have struggled with in recent times. But um, it's definitely going to be interesting. It's going to be hostile as well. Like, remember, Remember, like Justin Leonard's put in 1999, and you know, 40 foot put went in, and you, you think the, the competition is over, and the whole green is swallowed up by Americans. And then uh, I think it was Jose Mario Lassipal had to put out, and after, and ended up getting a half. But it's good. It's going to be really interesting. And like for as regards sport, what like what what do I see is you know really enjoyable sport a lot of the time is something with an atmosphere, something where people are invested and bought into it. And the Ryder Cup seems to always be like that. So yeah, I can't wait for it. Mortrasa, will you have a European flag with the blue and gold draped around your shoulders next Friday? If somebody points out in our text machine, Victor Hovland is from Norway, which is also not in the EU. No, I mean, I have no interest in supporting Team Europe. It means nothing to me. I have no emotional attachment to it whatsoever. But I have a massive emotional attachment to Parry Carrington and Shane Lowry just for those reasons that um, Michael's just after outlining. So, yeah, I'll be glued to it for that because it's a spectacle. I love watching the Americans bringing their brashness and all that the drama that that brings into it. And then we see the way Parry Carrington prepares for everything. And the best thing about this, he really wanted this gig. So he has put every single minute that he's had to put toward this. He has focused on it. He has a plan, hopefully, that will come off, you know, that hopefully that we're going to be all on tender hooks, you know, on that last day waiting to see, hopefully, you're all hoping that it'll be Shane Lowry at the end who'll do who'll do the magic and bring it home to Europe. But um, the whole European thing, no, I couldn't give a flying proverbial about that, but I do give a massive flying about uh, the Irishmen involved. And I just think that um, it's it just goes to show that we love a spectacle and we love a bit of competition and we love a bit of, um, we love a bit of um, controversy a little bit of you know bad talking and that kind of stuff but um, Team Europe sorry uh, it hasn't been sold to me yet anyway Yeah well Team Harrington Team Larry Team McElroy will be enough I think on Friday Saturday and Sunday next week uh, hopefully there'll be another documentary about it uh, more Trassa we've got this new Michael Schumacher documentary that Shane Hannan's going to speak about in a few moments time I haven't seen it yet deliberately haven't watched it but Sports documentaries, as we come out of lockdown and as we we get back to some sort of normality, uh, they were they were definitely a, a comfort at, at times. Have you seen Schumacher? And uh, do you have any sports documentaries you might want to recommend to us? No, I haven't seen it yet. Actually, it's on my to watch list, on my very long list of to watch list. But um, look, at uh, you can't get, find anybody more Galway than me. And for me, if you haven't seen it yet, and you know, be amazed, there was somebody in my life who hadn't seen it till I made him sit down and watch it last year when lockdown first hit, a year till Sunday. You can find it on YouTube. It is just magical. I remember getting it on videotape that Christmas from Santa after Galway won the All Ireland, and uh, it's just it's just brilliant. And it, what makes a sports documentary? I don't care who's involved. I don't care if it's a team sport or individual it's a bit of emotion a bit of you know people achieving something that people told you you weren't going to achieve it's a seeing the unbelievable it's that bit of magic it's seeing the emotion seeing people being built up to be knocked down but they get up again and they go and um, oh, it's just it's just brilliant it stood the test of time and actually I was reminded as well of another one that's much more difficult to find but actually well I don't know maybe John you might have seen it actually called Blow the Whistle it was a documentary on um, referees during the 1999 championship and it starred Pat McEnany and you see him taking a cigarette break at half time <laughs> in one of the games so they'd be the more local ones but um, the um, I suppose what should be the big ones I like I was trying to think through and my heart kept going back to them and I think that's it isn't it it's that 
emotional attachment and that's why I go back to them I thought the one about Senna was very good as well I enjoyed that but it's kind of one I'll only watch once and never watch it again whereas the whereas a year till Sunday I'll watch it every year on a Sunday usually <laughs> what year what year was that profile in the year till Sunday uh, 1998 when Galway won the All-Ireland in 1998 beating Kildare under Mayo Man. but actually interesting fact is that um, I think some of the footage was actually shot over a few years previously you know Pat Comer was uh, in the Galway team at the time as one of their goalkeepers he was a filmmaker as well so he was recording as he went along and I suppose that's why he had the implicit trust he was already inside so it wasn't unusual to have that camera in. It's just a pity in the culture we've seen now, like, for example, in the previous All-Ireland final where Mayo held their press day before we even knew who their opponent was going to be because, God forbid, the media might, you know, ruin things on us or ruin the camp. It just goes to show if you do it right, it's not going to damage anyone. No, but also you need the privacy. I think with their own uh, players there last week, that was great to see. They were going bananas in the dressing room. You don't want journalists in for that either, I don't think. I, I, I remember no, I was in, no. I was in, I was in the Kilkenny dressing room when they won an O2. It was a strange experience uh, when Andy Comerford went to st- stood up on the table and did a speech, and you're kind of thinking to yourself, I shouldn't be here, but I, but I was. Uh, Gavin, sports documentaries. Have you seen Schumacher yet? Yeah, I actually watched it just as research for this this morning. Um, it's. Uh, yeah, it starts quite well. I fast forwarded to the Senna bit because it's not a patch on the Senna doc, by the way, which is which obviously a couple of years ago, which is quality uh, by um, uh, Asif, but I, yeah. yes, Asif, yeah, who did the Maradona one, obviously. So everything and his his one on Amy Winehouse is also excellent. But the um, Schumacher thing, uh, my takeaway was it's really grim because he's not in it because he can't be in it because of his brain injury in 2013 when he was skiing. After all those years of surviving. Uh, on the on the racetrack uh, for that to happen on a skiing accident, but um, yeah, my takeaway is it's really grim. Sorry for if I for people who want me to say nice things about it. Um, documentaries myself, uh, I'd point you towards uh, this one called. There's a great one called Lenny Cook. So you don't know who Lenny Cook is, I imagine he was the no. best. Is he's the best 18 year old basketballer in 2001, and then these two 16 year olds called LeBron James and uh, Carmelo Anthony came along. And uh, just blew him out of it, surpassed him. He kind of messed up his studies. He's basically the guy that you should know about, who should have been a superstar, who wasn't, because life kind of threw him a coup curveballs and he couldn't handle it. But it's brilliant watching him go uh, toe-to-toe with LeBron when they're 16 and 17. And some of the footage is just is, is unbelievably good. And then obviously, when we were kings, I'd watch that every day. And Enton, for surfers, I love Fergal Smith. Anything about Fergal Smith, there's three or four documentaries about him the big wave surfer who's now like a farmer on the land in West Clare um, I'd, uh, I'd point you towards him it's all over YouTube Lenny Cook and Fergal Smith I'll be definitely investigating those listeners you, uh, yeah. you should good, as well Good afternoon's entertainment there. I, I would put out the two Escobars which was a 30 for 30 Andres Escobar and Pablo Escobar the Hillsborough documentary was very harrowing and very tough watch but amazingly orchestrated and executed by Daniel Gordon the impossible job on Graham Taylor was, was good fun Um the Maradona documentary is excellent. There's a 30 for 31 done on Once Brothers, these two Yugoslav uh, basketball Brilliant. players, Vlade Divac and uh, Drazen Petrovic, both divided by war and uh, one of them then sadly passed That's away. Um, so there's, there's, there's so much out there. The Senna one, I think, is because you really feel a connection with Senna. You really feel, whoa, I've got a real connection with him and then we know what happened in, in that Grand Prix in 1994. Michael Verney, I don't know if there's any awfully hurling ones that we we haven't spoken about, but I don't really remember any awfully hurling documentaries. Maybe they should have done one about the 90s team. 
No, there's one there, all right. Dulini, the great escape after the 94 All-Ireland final. You'll find it somewhere on YouTube. Um, well worth the watch if you're an Offaly fan. Marooned was a great one with, with Paddy O'Shea when they followed him in Westmead and he gave that, you know, a grain of rice will tip the scales. I think that's 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 a very good one too. Uh, I, I love, I have to say, I don't know if as a series that's kept going on year after year, if Laker Gale can be topped on TG Carr, I just think it's phenomenal. The job they do, the best thing they ever did, because we always said uh, after the initial series, just make this show a little bit longer. Half an hour is not enough. And they did one with my own club mate, Johnny Pilkington, earlier on this year. Just phenomenal. And you can always find them on the TG4 player. A couple other ones, I probably have a, an eclectic kind of mix of things. Being AP is brilliant, where they follow AP McCoy for about the year, year and a half before his retirement. Um, from the saddle and it's just it was inside a look inside the mind of a really selfish sports person who basically wants everything on his terms and is the the kind of dialogue between him and his wife is fascinating um i'd be a big wrestling fan as well as a couple of brilliant wrestling documentaries beyond the mat uh is you know a phenomenal look behind the scenes of what goes on in wrestling it's just a, a mad industry wrestling with shadows would be another one that follows uh, Bret Hart in 1997, and it's all around the Montreal Screwjob, which everybody knows wrestling is uh, technically not real. It's theatre, but this was one time where uh, theatre kind of turned into reality, and it's one of the most infamous kind of incidents in wrestling history. And there's a couple of brilliant ones on Vice at the moment called Dark Side of the Ring, and there's a really uh, good one around uh, the wrestler Chris Benoit, uh, who was involved in a a murder-suicide uh, many years ago, and it's just a fascinating insight behind the scenes. But they'd probably be my one. Senna, Senna as well is just, like, the, be the best sporting documentaries will be, like, I don't, wouldn't necessarily watch Formula One the whole time. I definitely wouldn't, but they can just draw you in, and the footage in Senna is just outstanding, yeah. But uh, I'm, I'd be the same with the Schumacher one. I haven't watched it yet. I'm not very time-sensitive. I'll probably watch it in five years' time or something like that. But there's lots out there. The Last Dance we haven't mentioned too, which I've wa yeah. I'm, watching for the, I'm watching for the third time at the moment and just keep picking up new things every time I watch it. That basically got the vast majority of it was through lockdown. It did, didn't it? Do you know it? which one we forgot as well, actually? Sunderland Till I Die as a series. Oh, yeah. I thought that was excellent. And again, I had no emotional attachment to them as a team until I began watching it. And then you begin rooting for them and you begin, you know, feeling the highs and lows. And fortunately for them, there was a lot more lows than highs. But when it's done properly, like Michael said, you don't need to even know anything about the sport. You don't need to know anything about the protagonists. You just need a storyline to reel you in. And most athletes, it doesn't matter the sport, they have that because they tend to be exceptional people. Yeah, and that's important as well with the Maradona one for anybody out there who's not really into football. This is an amazing documentary on a person's life. The footage is, is fantastic and really insightful, but also it really captures the suffocating nature of fame that a human being can experience. It really was just, I think, too much for Maradona to handle, as, as we found out. Um, 53106, the 30 over 30 about the Red Sox winning the World Series is unreal, says one of our texters. Great discussion, people. Best board documentaries. Heisel Requiem for a cup final. Hillsborough, the one with that professor, uh, feels great. And uh, Diego Maradona and Senna, says Niall in Dublin. And finally, just to finish up, folks, can you ask more, Trasser, from a sports psychologist point of view, is there something you can do to make a team start well? I coach underage teams, soccer, and some games, they really seem to start slowly or sluggishly. They get into the second half then, is it really hard to know? You see similar things with the Galway hurlers, says Sean and Galway. Wow, 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 wow. Um, I would say, Sean, give me a call. 
um, it's um, that no, that's a complicated one. And if I had the answers to all those, and you, you wouldn't see, be talking, you wouldn't be talking to us. You'd be earning. Well, I'd be making a lot more money. Yeah, I'd be earning exactly, millions. Yeah. But the one thing I will say to Sean is that if you notice that happening to one team, and then you go and try apply what they did to, to, to fix it, it's not going to work. You have to individualize it, and you have to find out why, and then work from there. And I'm afraid that's the best answer I can give right now. I was sure there was a Mayo question coming there. Could Mara and Mara Mara Trasa somehow lift the curse in Mayo or do something? So at least the, the question was a bit easier, even if it did hit home a bit. Well, unfortunately, I think Mayo are still they're still grieving a bit. So nobody's been in touch for Mayo this afternoon. But that might change on Football Saturday between three and five. More Trasa, you, Cali, Gavin Comsky, Michael Verney. Great to have you on. Great discussion. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Long before we Thanks. Take it easy. Good luck, good luck. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball.